Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Stay with CNN for the latest from Ukraine. The news continues, so let's hand it over to Wolf Blitzer and CNN Tonight. John, thank you very much. I'm Wolf Blitzer. This is CNN Tonight. We want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. Ukraine's President Zelensky just spoke for the first time about that possible first Ukrainian strike inside Russia since this invasion began. A direct hit early this morning on a fuel storage facility in Belgorod. That's about 25 miles from Ukraine's eastern border. Russia claims two Ukrainian military helicopters entered its territory, flying at a very low altitude, and struck the facility that stores millions of gallons of fuel. All day, Ukraine now hasn't confirmed or denied it was behind the attack. It's not unlike Russia to conduct false flag operations for any excuse to blame the enemy, but it's possible Ukraine was behind the strike, which would be a big feat if true. President Zelensky was directly asked if he ordered it tonight. Listen to his answer. I do not discuss any of my orders as commander-in-chief. Uh, the leader of this uh, state, and there are things which I only share with the military uh, for armed forces of Ukraine and when they talk with me. You need to understand that on that territory that you uh, mentioned, you have to know, they were placing their shooting uh, systems and firing those, uh, those uh, missiles uh, themselves. We were attacked. That is what matters. So clearly, President Zelensky isn't confirming or denying his country was behind it. We're going to dig into what could be read from that. That's just ahead. Meanwhile, new satellite images confirm Russian forces have vanished from the site of their first major victory in Ukraine. On day one of the invasion, Russia captured the Antonov airfield that's just about 18 miles from the capital of Kyiv. And now its forces are gone, confirmed by these satellite images. But it's unclear where they went. The Russians never made it closer to western Kyiv after capturing that airfield back on February 24th while Ukrainian forces have held strong against their advance. In a video address tonight, President Zelensky says Russian troops are slowly but noticeably moving out of northern Ukraine. They are relentless, however, in the port city of Mariupol. Thousands of Ukrainians have just escaped, but authorities say about 100,000 remain trapped there because Russia isn't letting aid workers in. And there are also now reports of missile strikes on another major port city. We're talking about Odessa in southern Ukraine. We're going to take you there live. That's coming up. But first, let's go to CNN's Fred Pleitkin. He's joining us from Kyiv right now. 
Fred, uh, tell our viewers what's happening in the Capitol tonight. Well, look, if, if, uh, Wolf, if President Zelensky says that the Russians are slowly moving away out of the suburbs around Kiev or the region of Kiev, it certainly seems to be something that we're seeing on the ground as well. In fact, we were in a location today that had Russian forces in it for a very long time. We saw a lot of destroyed Russian armor on the ground there, but the Russian forces had vanished from there as well. And it was in the late afternoon hours that the Ukrainians also announced that the key suburb of Kiev uh, called Bucha, that that had now been retaken by Ukrainian forces. Now, the Russian forces apparently Apparently left there. Also a lot of destroyed armor there and unfortunately also a lot of dead bodies still laying in the streets as there was some extremely heavy fighting going on in the areas especially towards the northwest of the Ukrainian capital. But you're absolutely right. It's not clear where exactly those forces are going. At the same time though we heard President Zelensky just there also saying that the, the Ukrainians had been uh, attacked, Kharkiv had attacked from that place, uh, from Belgorod, from the Russian side. Uh, and so, therefore, if the Ukrainians did manage to attack that oil storage facility, it would be a major feat and certainly a blow right at the heart of Russia's military machine. Let's have a look. It could be a brazen and bold counterattack by the Ukrainians. This social media video seeming to show two attack helicopters penetrating Russian territory and firing at an oil depot, setting the facility ablaze. The Russian military publicly acknowledging the incident. On April 1st, at around 5 a.m. Moscow time, two Ukrainian Mi-24 helicopters entered the airspace of the Russian Federation at extremely low altitude, the spokesman says. Ukrainian helicopters launched a missile attack on a civilian oil storage facility located on the outskirts of Belgorod. As a result of the missile hit, individual tanks were damaged and caught fire. Video from the aftermath shows the facility engulfed in massive flames, with firefighters struggling to put out the blaze. Belgorod is a highly militarized city right across the border from Kharkiv in Ukraine. It was from here that Russian forces crossed the border and attacked Kharkiv, moving large amounts of tanks, armored vehicles and trucks towards Ukrainian territory. But the Russians also have massive military support facilities in this area. The Ukrainians so far have not acknowledged they've hit the depot. I can neither confirm nor, uh, uh, nor reject the, the claim that uh, uh, Ukraine was involved in this, simply because I do not possess all the military information. The strike comes as Russian forces have been suffering setbacks in their invasion of Ukraine, withdrawing some forces from the area around the capital, Kiev, after failing to storm the city. The Russians now saying they want to focus their offensive on the east of the country, which includes Kharkiv, where authorities report a major uptick in shelling in recent days. All this as talks between Russia and Ukraine to try and end the fighting continue. But Moscow now saying Vladimir Putin has been briefed on the chopper attack and it could have a negative impact on the talks. Of course, this is not something that can be perceived as creating comfortable conditions for continuing negotiations, the Kremlin spokesman said. The strike on the oil facility will probably do little to hold up Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But if the Ukrainians are behind it, it would show they are not afraid to strike back at the country that is attacking them. 
And Wolf, it's impossible to overstate the military importance of Belgorod, especially for Russia's invasion there uh, of the Kharkiv area, that entire area completely militarized. You know, I was, I was down there when the war kicked off. There's military bases all around the border area. And if those two choppers made it through and made it all the way to Belgorod, they would have overcome some pretty big Russian air defense systems as well. So yet, as yet unclear whether the Ukraine's really behind it, but if they were behind it, it certainly shows that they are still capable of striking right at the heart of Russia's military. Wolf? It certainly does. Uh, Fred Plankin in Kiev for us. Stay safe over there. Fred uh, will be in touch. Uh, also new tonight, the Pentagon has just, just announced another $300 million in help for the Ukrainian military. That aid uh, will cover things like suicide drones, night vision equipment, and systems to stop Russian drones. It brings the total value of U.S. assistance for Ukraine to more than $2.3 billion since the start of the Biden administration. Let's put those numbers uh, into some sort of perspective. For that, I'm joined tonight by former European Affairs Director uh, over at the National Security Council, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Also joining us, a former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, Ivo Dalder. Uh, gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Colonel Vindman, what kind of uh, difference will this kind of specific military assistance actually make for the Ukrainian military on the ground? It's, it's not uh, particularly meaningful. Of course, uh, every little bit helps. The suicide drones that you referred to, they're somewhat limited capability. They're anti-personnel drones um, that uh, will be, be less than effective in a mechanized armored warfare, but there'll be soft targets that they go after, uh, like artillery units need to, to have uh, personnel operating them, uh, some fuel tankers and things of that nature. I think the, the big things that really would be meaningful are significant levels of air defense, long range fires that would uh, even the, the settle a kind of a, the disequilibrium between what the Russians have, they have an enormous amount of fires, planes, ballistic missiles, short range ballistic missiles. Those types of things have not yet poured in. And those are the things that are gonna be particularly meaningful, especially six weeks into to this war, uh, Ukraine has lost equipment, it has lost artillery, it has lost some armor. These are the big ticket items that, uh, that have not yet re been replenished. And that's the kind of stuff that really needs to start flowing in. There was an announcement by NATO that they're going to do anything and everything they can to help. Uh, I think the easiest thing to do would be to take all that Soviet uh, Warsaw Pact era equipment that's sitting in depots in, in Eastern Central Europe and start feeding it through uh, at, at a rapid pace. Those are the kinds of capabilities that are gonna be meaningful for, for the rest of this war. Well, what do you think about that, Ambassador? Well, I think that's uh, that's right. We, there There is significant capability, but there's also significant capability already flowing in, and we shouldn't just look at what the United States is doing. Uh, the Germans have just announced uh, sending uh, Soviet-era tanks uh, into, uh, into Ukraine. There are a number of countries that are very quiet about what they're doing. They don't wanna have it publicly uh, known that they are supporting uh, uh, the Ukrainian effort. Uh, we don't know what the French are sending in, other than they're sending in an awful lot. Uh, there are uh, Soviet-era equipment, as, as Colonel Whitman said, uh, that is actually being released and, and quietly flowing into the, into the fight. We can have more. We need to have more because this is a major fight that's going on. And if it starts to concentrate, as it seems to look like in the East, uh, it's going to be a, a particularly uh, difficult battle and having the equipment necessary uh, to not only fight the fight, but win the fight uh, is uh, requires a continued inflow of capabilities, of intelligence, 
uh, of which a lot I think is moving into uh, into the Ukrainian military uh, from the United States and other countries. So yes, uh, lots is happening, but more uh, will need to flow if we're going to see this uh, war moving into the direction we continue to, uh, continue to move in the direction we want, which is to have the Russians push back, push back and the Ukrainians regain territory. When it comes to today's uh, helicopter strike in Belgorod, uh, uh, you know, Colonel Vindman, uh, you heard what President Zelensky said about this attack. Uh, how do you read between the lines of the Ukrainians neither confirming nor denying they're behind uh, this attack? Well, he didn't deny it, so that's pretty telling. I think there are other countries that have similar doctrine. The, the Israelis don't talk about the attacks that they conduct. There's no real great utility in doing it. The, the Russians know who conducted this this attack, so announcing it publicly uh, is is uh, there's no added value. I think the signaling, the subtext here is that this war doesn't just occur on Ukrainian soil. It's going to have uh, local effects on Russian territory. And I think it's a signal, frankly, to the U.S. also that uh, Ukraine is going to take the fight forward to the, the forward staging areas uh, for Russia and, uh, and wage war there and, and do it in a responsible manner. They're not looking to go after civilian targets. They're not looking to do the barbarous activities that the uh, Russians are doing. And that's supposed to be a kind of subtext to encourage the U.S. to provide more capable systems. You, Unmanned, I, I, uh, combat uh, vehicles. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I, want, I want the ambassador to weigh in uh, specifically on that point as well. Does it this strike, uh, this helicopter attack, signal a shift, ambassador? Because the Ukrainians have been on the offensive around the capital of Kiev, but President Zelensky is warning of new Russian assaults in the east and the south. Yeah, I, I think it is a signal, uh, an important signal. One is that uh, helicopters can apparently fly 25 kilometers into Russian territory uh, and, and shoot at targets with, and, and be able to come back. That tells you a lot about both the brazenness of the, of the Ukrainian military and the courage and heroism of them, but at the same time, the weakness of the Russian air defenses. That's one. The second is, is exactly that, uh, taking the fight not just to the enemy uh, in, inside Ukraine, but wherever... Uh, uh, they are staging and, uh, and, and creating the havoc that they are creating in, in Ukraine. And it is important that uh, Ukraine be able to do so, taking out a fuel de depot, uh, targeting significant military targets that are part of the war against Ukraine, are fully legitimate in the self-defense of Ukraine, and does send a signal that the idea that somehow we shouldn't be sending armaments that uh, have too long a range for fear that uh, it may uh, may hit Russia. Russia is the one who started the war here. Uh, if the Ukrainians believe that the best way to defend themselves is to hit targets on Russian territory, they should be able to do that. And they've just demonstrated a willingness. Ambassador Dalder, thank you so much for joining us. Colonel Vindman, thanks to you as well. We will all continue this conversation down the road. We're about to be joined by two key members of Ukraine's parliament. Both are fighting for their country in different ways from different places, but they are together in their mission. They're truly incredible stories. That's coming up next. Ukrainians retook the town of Bucha from the Russians just outside of Kiev. Uh, that was just a little while ago. Uh, I'm about to show you the cost. Uh, and I want to warn our viewers, the, the pictures you're about to see are disturbing. 
This is what a street in Bucha looks like right now. Several bodies visible as a car makes its way through. It's not clear if the dead were soldiers or civilians. I want to bring in two people right now who know this fight all too well. Both are key members of the Ukrainian parliament. Igor Chernyev uh, is in Kyiv for us. He has voluntarily joined the capital's territorial defense. And Oleksandra Ustinova is uh, she's here in the United States right now where she has been meeting with members of the U.S. Congress. We're going to talk to her in just a few moments. But let me start with you, Igor. What's happening on the ground? Update our viewers. Um, well, it looks like uh, Russian troops withdrawn uh, from the territory of Kiev and Chernigiv uh, district, but I'm not sure that they just uh, go out. They will be regrouped, and I think they will be they will strike uh, from the uh, eastern part of Ukraine. So this is only the the pause of uh, um, Russian. Uh, in this war, I mean, the pose from this this direction. Also, I see a lot of war crimes from the uh, Russian troops. Raped uh, women, killed children. My friends lost uh, his, their child just in a few days ago because of bombs from the Russian uh, Federation. Um, they just, uh, you know, their behavior, like a behavior of of of, um, of war crimers, you know, uh, and uh, th th this is the problem. And also the problem that we don't have enough weapon to to um, to close our sky, you know, because um, we lost a lot of our aircrafts. We lost. Um, uh, we used a lot of our anti-missile and anti-aircraft system. Yeah, we we have uh, some supplies from the Western uh, countries, but it's not enough. It's enough to contain the enemy and die, but not enough to defeat him. Um, this is the problem. This is the situation right, right now. You need more equi equipment, uh, more military hardware from the U.S. and the other NATO allies. What's your take, uh, Igor, uh, on this airstrike of this Russian fuel depot just across the border in Russia? Is this a sign that Ukraine is stepping up its military offensives against Russia? Well, I cannot confirm, as, as, as um, our minister said, and I, I cannot reject, reject because I'm not in an uh, army, um, uh, in a headquarter, but we will fight um, on the ground, in the air, and at, at sea uh to the end and uh, it's it's no doubt actually it's, it's no doubt what it's no doubt that we will continue fight right with russia okay. all right i just wanted to clarify that you also serve igor as uh, the chair of the ukrainian delegation to the nato parliamentary assembly uh, what do you make of president Zelensky saying neutrality is on the table in his negotiations with Russia? Well, first of all, we have to uh, um, understand that we need the um, security guarantees from the third parties, from, I don't know, maybe from the US, the UK, um, Turkey, or other countries, that in this case, we can replace our um, 
movement to NATO with these guarantees of, of, uh, from different countries. But uh, it doesn't mean that we are agree with the neutrality status without any guarantees. This is the you point. Want, yeah, you want to ceasefire, yeah. but you want to see a complete Russian troop withdrawal from all of Ukraine. Uh, let's see if that is even doable. Uh, Igor Charniev, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck to you. Stay safe over there. We'll stay in touch, of course, with you as well. Uh, right now, I want to bring in uh, Alexandra Ustinova. Uh, she's another member of the Ukrainian parliament. Uh, first, uh, I, I just want to express our condolences. I know your friend, a very good friend of yours, who also serves in the Ukrainian parliament, lost her husband yesterday because of Russian shelling near Cherniev. Uh, how, how are you and your friend coping with this enormous loss? It's very difficult for me to say how she is doing and her two kids who could not believe that their daddy is not with them anymore and they kept asking her their mom just to give someone a call that she must must have been mistaken his younger daughter uh, has a birthday next week and she was saying that i don't need a present can you please just call somebody and tell me that this is something wrong that you got it wrong Unfortunately, it is very difficult for them. It's I think it is difficult for everybody today in Ukraine because I don't know a Ukrainian who hasn't lost someone they love or know. And I think this war will change us forever because every force Ukrainian was pushed out of his or her home. They have to they had to flee the country. A lot of women had been raped. A lot of children died. Yegor just mentioned that a fr his friend has lost a child because of the bomb. So unfortunately, this is the tragedy of the 21st century that we're witnessing right now. And the only thing I wrote to my friend's kid, I was telling them, we will revenge. We will take over and they will pay a very high price for her dad and for everybody who, who will never come back after this war. It, it is so heartbreaking to hear these stories. And, and this is just one story, but there are so many of these stories, what's been going on these past six weeks. Ukraine represented no threat to Russia at all, but the Russians under Putin have moved in and are destroying so much of uh, what was at one point a very beautiful country. I, I know, uh, uh, Alexandra, uh, you're expecting a baby in 10 days. So talk to me, if you can, a little bit about what you've been hearing from parents back home as they try to shield their children, their young kids, from this war. Well, unfortunately, not everybody could take their children out of the country, or at least in the West, where it's more safe. We have a very high rate of babies' death now because we have a lot of miscarriages. A lot of the kids were born uh, premature. And you know, these babies, uh, they need special equipment. They need special care that nobody could have provided to them in the bomb shelters or in the basements. And unfortunately, a lot of babies did not make it. So Putin will have to pay for the unborn babies, for the babies who died within the first few days of their lives, for the moms who passed away, giving the birth to these babies. So unfortunately, again, this has been a tragedy. And uh, I live in Kiev, and probably a lot of my friends, I would say the majority, were trying to take their kids out to the western part or somewhere abroad and would come back and fight. But 
Every child in Ukraine now knows that Russians are not brothers. There are enemies that go for after children, after women. Yesterday, there was a heartbreaking story that we came to know in Ukraine. I don't know if the world knows that. My colleague was already saying that, unfortunately, it's not only about Putin. It's about the Russian soldiers and the Russians who support this. They're criminals. They're murderers. They're rapists. Yesterday, a story broke out that our army found a six-year-old boy in Mariupol. He had gray hair at six years because his mom was raped two days in a row in front of him by the Russian soldiers. His mom didn't make it, but the kid got, got gray hair at six. Mm. And when you hear the story like that, and this is just one of the thousands of stories because we don't even know how many of those stories are out there. It's not about just war. It's not about denazification, NATO, or demilitarization. This is literally about erasing a nation, just killing as many Ukrainians, raping and destroying as they can. This is exactly the same what Hitler was doing to Jews. That's exactly what Russians are doing to Ukrainians now. Alexandra Ustinova, uh, our hearts uh, go out to you, to your family and your friends, indeed to all the people of Ukraine. Um, uh, our deepest, deepest, deepest wishes that you will all get through this. I know this has been a horrible, horrible experience, and I know none of you anticipated what the Russians uh, are capable of doing under Putin. Uh, it's come as an awful, awful development. Uh, uh, good luck to you. Good luck to everyone in Ukraine. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you, Will. Heartbreaking indeed. Coming up, uh, the battle for survival in the crucial port city of Odessa. There's word tonight of new Russian attacks, but the people of Odessa are not giving up. We have new information. That's next. Ukraine says it foiled an attempt uh, by the Russians, uh, an attempt uh, involving a missile attack directed at critical infrastructure in Odessa. Instead, the three Russian missiles hit a residential area in that major seaport city. But officials do report casualties. CNN's Ed Levandera is in Odessa for us. He's talking to the many people there who are preparing for more Russian strikes, even as they try to live their lives. The Kanishka market is where you come to trade gossip and rumors, dollars for Ukrainian cash, or hunt down underground rare books. It's also where a group of college friends come for coffee and a sense of peace. I want to ask you, uh, with everything going on in Ukraine, everything here seems so normal. Now it's home and we can like live a normal life. But that's for now, we don't know what's going to be tomorrow or in a week. It looks normal, but is it really normal? Inside, everyone is afraid. If something's going to happen in Odessa, of course, we will protect our city. But right now, we can just sit and live normal life. As you navigate the streets of Odessa, you see the remaining residents trying to go about their daily lives. But a large part of the city's historic center is transformed into a fortified zone with anti-tank barricades bracing for an amphibious attack by Russian troops from the Black Sea. It's a ghost town. The residents of Odessa would normally be preparing to hold what is known as the April Fool's Parade on this street in the heart of the city. It's a parade that started years ago in response to Soviet censorship. But now, 
this area of Odessa is completely fortified and this year there will be no parade. Instead, civilian volunteers and activists are mobilizing to support the war effort. So we're in a bomb shelter in Odessa, and this is where they're making bulletproof vests. We meet this man sealing the steel plates of homemade armored vests for frontline soldiers. He asked that we call him Markin. We've heard that Russian forces are leaving Kyiv. Are you concerned, and do you think that they're going to start coming back toward Odessa? We've already beat their ass. We will do it again, he tells me. Russian naval ships remain stationed off the coast of Odessa in the Black Sea. The concern here is the war will intensify in the south. Before the war, Markin worked as a professional scuba diver. He defiantly says he looks forward to exploring the underwater wreckage of those sunken Russian ships as a diver when the war is over. On a street corner, we find dozens of displaced families who've escaped to Odessa. They're from the worst war zones, hoping to find food and clothing. Olga Petkovich is waiting with five of her six children. So you come from a village that was surrounded by Russian soldiers. You're in the crossfire. How frightening was that? I was scared for the children, most of all, she tells me. Olga says her family had to walk through a forest to escape shelling. Tears well up in her eyes as her husband tells us Russian soldiers broke into their homes, taking everything they could from the families in their village. When we came here, the volunteers told us to say what we need. But I'm ashamed. I've worked all my life and never asked anyone for anything. And now I have to ask. Her little girl wipes away her mother's tears. (laughs) Mother, why are you crying? The girl asks. Because they were shelling us a lot, Olga tells her. Not far from where we met Olga's family, we notice a father teaching his daughter how to ride a bike. A poignant moment in the midst of a surreal world. And Wolf, you know, Friday night uh, we heard this barrage of uh, air defense systems firing up into the air. Military officials here in Ukraine say that three missiles were were fired from the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, One military official says that there are uh, some wounded on the ground. Another military official says that uh, Russian airstrikes missed their intended targets. Wolf? Odessa is a beautiful city indeed. Uh, Ed Lavendera reporting for us. Heartbreaking news for all of us. Uh, Thanks very much, Ed, for your reporting. Stay safe over there. Our coverage of the invasion of Ukraine continues just ahead. President Zelensky won't say tonight if he ordered that attack on a fuel depot in Russia this morning. But if Ukraine was behind it, how could that actually change the fight? We're going to bring you one of our top military analysts. That's coming up next. The New York Times is now reporting uh, that the United States will work with allies to transfer Soviet-made tanks 
to bolster Ukrainian defensives. The tanks will be heading to what's expected to be the Russian focal point in the Donbass area. Let's bring in Lieutenant, uh, retired Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling uh, for what this means for us. Uh, General, uh, what, what, what would more heavy equipment like these Soviet-era tanks do for the Ukrainians in the fight in the Donbass region? It would be significant, Wolf, because they're, first of all, equipment that the Ukrainian army is used to working with. Secondly, uh, you know, based on the report by the New York Times, these are tanks that are actually higher quality uh, Russian tanks than what the Russians are using. Uh, Wolf, surprisingly, I actually fired a tank from the Czech Republic, similar to the kinds that are coming from Slovakia. And they have taken the T-72 variant, which is the main Russian battle uh, tank, and have upgraded it in very significant ways, They're both their optics, their armor, and their gun system. So I, I think it would certainly help uh, to do the transfer uh, between some of the NATO nations that are now still using those T-72s. Well, here's what I don't understand. If the U.S. and the NATO allies are now about to provide the Ukrainian military with these Soviet-era battle tanks, which are excellent tanks, I should, I should say, what's to stop the U.S. and the NATO allies from going one step further and providing the Ukrainians with the, what they really want, Soviet-era MiG-29 jet fighters? Well, first of all, because there's the feeling that to, to control the air, uh, which everyone is very concerned about, uh, it's very difficult in a, in a Russian environment where they have massive air defense systems around the battlefield. Ukraine has been very uh, successful in jamming some of those air defense systems and in flying around them. But truthfully, Wolf, you know, the, the number of MiGs that are available would not do that much to contribute to what the Ukrainians have. And I think there's been a lot of defense experts who have who have actually analyzed this problem and said it's very, it would be very difficult to turn the tide with just a few more aircraft. It's better to get the air defense missile systems and uh, some of the, the, the shoulder fire missile systems that are knocking down the Russian aircraft. Yeah, the U.S. is providing anti-aircraft uh, missiles. They're providing drones, but they're stopping short of actual fighter jets. All this comes, as you know, General Hurtling, uh, following what could be the first Ukrainian attack on Russian soil earlier today on this fuel depot, uh, depot uh, just north of uh, Ukraine. Uh, uh, Ukraine neither confirms nor denies. But what stands out? What stands out to you about this uh, attack conducted by military? Uh, helicopters, and everybody is assuming slowly but surely to believe it was the Ukrainian military. Yeah, there's a couple things that stand out to me, Wolf, that, hasn't, that haven't been discussed today. First of all, yes, it was certainly a high-value target. But for more than the fact that the, the strike hit a va valuable fuel depot in, our, in the rear area that will affect the refitting of Russian troops. You know, Wolf, we, we call this in U.S. military parlance a deep strike. It's not something that immediately affects the front lines, but it's something that will have a significant effect on the logistics capability of the Russian army in the future. It also sends a message. It tells Russia, you are no longer protected in Belarus, a place where you used to think was a safe haven. We will not allow you to reconsolidate untouched. That's what the Ukrainians are saying. And Russia, by the way, just when you thought you were repositioning out of our country into a safe zone, we reached out and struck your rear area. You are safe nowhere. In addition to all that, it was an excellent tactical operation. This isn't just helicopters taking off from an airfield and going to hit a target. There's a lot of things that go behind these kind of strikes. The preparation of the routes, the jamming of the suppression of the enemy air defense. 
and the precise strike capability. Well, you know, they're denying, they're neither confirming or denying right now, which tells me they did it. And it was a very bold move with some great planning behind it. And it hit a very, uh, very, very high value target. Yeah, it tells me exactly the same thing. Uh, and remember, all those armored personnel carriers, the armored vehicles, the tanks that are going from Russia into Ukraine, they need fuel and they get the fuel from uh, a fuel depot like this one that was destroyed earlier today. General Hurtling, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always good to hear your assessment. And stay with CNN thank for continuing coverage of this brutal war on Ukraine. Much more coming up, but up next. There's also been a major development in the aftermath of the Oscars. Will Smith announcing he is resigning from the Motion Picture Academy after slapping Chris Rock on stage. His new statement and why it may not necessarily mark the end of this scandal. We have new information. That's next. There's breaking news in the Will Smith Oscar slap up uproar. Smith announcing tonight he's resigning from the Academy, but that doesn't mean he won't face any punishment for hitting comedian Chris Rock. Smith, the newly minted Best Actor winner, released the statement just a few hours ago saying this. Let me read part of it. My actions at the 94th Academy Awards presentation were shocking, painful, and inexcusable. The list of those I have hurt is long and includes Chris Rock, his family, many of my dear friends and loved ones. I betrayed the trust of the Academy. I deprived other nominees and winners of their opportunity to celebrate. I am resigning from membership in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and will accept any further consequences the board deems appropriate, end quote. Our Chloe Malas has been following this story for us. She's joining us right now. Chloe, how's the Academy responding to this statement? Yeah, well, listen, just moments after Will Smith released that statement, this is what we received at CNN. They said, quote, we will continue to move forward with our disciplinary proceedings against Mr. Smith for violations of the Academy's standards of conduct in advance of our next scheduled board meeting on April 18th. Wolf, remember, the Academy uh, revealed earlier this week in another statement that they gave Will Smith two weeks notice where he can respond in writing. And this, I guess, is his response that he is resigning. Um, but that they are going to have consequences for his actions. So this is not over. He could still face potential repercussions for what he's done. Well, specifically, what further disciplinary actions, Chloe, could be taken? Good question. He could potentially be banned from attending the Academy Awards in the future, maybe not just next year, if that's on the table, but in the future. Um, he still could be nominated, what I'm hearing, for an Academy Award uh, for his work. Now, the fact that he's resigned, Wolf, means that he can no longer be a voting member of the Academy. When you are a member of the 9,000-plus voting body of the Academy, these are the ones who vote from directors, actors, producers, you name it, on those who win in these categories. So he will not be able to do that. Some people may say, okay, so what? It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But we know that Will Smith, he cared about the Academy. He cared about winning that Oscar. So to have done this and now face repercussions like not being able to be a part of the ceremony next year or beyond, that is significant. Uh, as you well know, because you were there, uh, Chris Rock has been performing the last few days in Boston. Now, last night, he dealt with a heckler 
Tell our viewers what happened. Yeah, so I was not at last night's show. I was at several other uh, other shows of his in Boston this week. Um, a heckler in the audience screamed out, F. Will Smith. And immediately, Chris Rock went over and said, no, 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 no. You know, Chris Rock is not going to entertain any of that right now. What he said during his first show, and I was in there, Wolf, is that I am still processing this. At some point, I'm going to address it. It's going to be funny. It's going to be serious. But I still don't know what I want to do yet. And at that second show on that first night, he also had said, Wolf, and I told you this, that he said that he and Will Smith have not spoken, that despite what you've heard, no discussions have been had. So you're seeing this new statement out tonight from Will Smith, where he apologizes once again to Chris Rock. But all of the public apologies in the world, what do they really mean if he hasn't apologized directly to Chris Rock? So it'll be interesting if that's happened and if Chris Rock makes, you know, more comments available to us about how he's feeling and what he wants to do next. The, you know, it's interesting, uh, the producer of the, uh, the uh, Oscars uh, of, of the event, uh, the TV production, uh, Will Packer says uh, that uh, Rock didn't want Smith kicked out of the ceremony. Tell us about that. Yes. So we knew from a source earlier this week, Wolf, that Academy leadership, that they asked Will Smith's publicist to have him leave the Dolby Theater after he slapped Chris Rock and that Will Smith said no. And that by the time it was communicated to Academy leadership, they had run out of time simply before the best actor uh, you know, category was going to be announced. Will Packer says that Chris Rock did not want Will Smith to be escorted out, that he didn't want to make an already painful situation even more difficult. Will says that actually Chris saved the Oscars, in his opinion, from being even more of a disaster. Chloe Malas, you've been doing excellent reporting on this. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be right back. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Thanks very much for watching. Please join me in the Situation Room weeknights, 6 p.m. Eastern. And log on to our new streaming network, CNN Plus, for the newscast with Wolf Blitzer. That's weeknights, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern or on demand. You can watch it whenever you want. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.